You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. All right, did I get it right? Del Hotel? Is it close enough? All right, so um, I've been pronouncing it wrong all these weeks leading up to it, and so I feel bad. But I know your pain, brother. My name is Eli, E-L-Y. So anytime I see that spelled somewhere, it's L-E-L. I've heard so many things. It's not even funny anymore. But uh, there's a unique connection here because if you heard in the video, uh, this family worked at, at Amboy, at uh, Brother Rocky Fritz's church, which is her, his, Rocky Fritz's daughter is Rachel Goldchow who married Phil Golchow, who used to work here on staff. So I don't, and then they're about 30, 35 minutes away, I think, from where I grew up in Geneseo, Illinois. And so uh, that's, that's, there's a unique connection there, planting a church in Princeton. I've been to that Walmart, brother, many times. There's not many on, the, on, the, on I-80 there. So, but uh, uh, that's just unique to me. And, and they went to, to school at Fairhaven. So Miss Naima, did you know them, Miss Naima? Okay, because they said they knew you. So I was like... She's going to be like, no, never heard of these people before. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. So that's just interesting to me. And then, you know, it's just how God moved them out. California moved me out here too years ago. And so, but I'm excited for them. And I'm excited so much for uh, our church to hopefully get behind them and support them. And then they're going up to this needy area of Santa Barbara. And so I've asked Brother Del Hotel to, was that better? Your wife said yes, and you're like, nah, you can't please some people, you know. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, thank you so much for being here with us. They flew in. They've got a busy schedule, but they made time to be here, so we appreciate that. So, brother, you come preach to us. Let's give him a round of applause as he comes. Thank you, brother. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Reynolds. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. And... um, Seems like we should have met somewhere along the line uh, when you were in Illinois, but uh, I don't think we ever had the opportunity to. Uh, I was at the Church of Geneseo a few times for special meetings and things, but, um, but anyway, it's good to be here tonight. Thank you so much uh, for allowing us to be here, and I do count it a privilege, um, and uh, we're excited about the, about the opportunity, and we've been uh, richly blessed already. Thank you so much for the, the beautiful room and uh, the bag of goodies and, and the bag that the goodies were in. Uh, we're going to make use of that bag. We really uh, uh, like that, especially with our, our scripture printed on it and everything. Uh, so whoever uh, put those together, uh, thank you so much. We appreciate that so, so much. And um, I do want to apologize that we do not have our kids with us. Uh, we, we are a team, and, uh, but we ditched most of our team on the way out here. Uh, it was just uh, <clears throat> crazy scheduling on, on my part. We, we needed to be in the Midwest for a while, but we also needed to be in California. And, and uh, so we uh, just decided to, to fly back, just to, my wife and I, uh, for a few weeks to, for some meetings. And, um, but uh, I would love to have been able to introduce you to my children uh, my daughter is actually uh, at Fairhaven right now. She's uh, studying to be a, a secondary uh, education teacher. And uh, hopefully, um, well, her, her original plan anyway was to come back to the uh, church in Oceanside and work in the school there. And uh, so maybe that'll happen. Maybe Prince Charming will show up. Who knows? Um, but, uh, uh, or maybe she'll come help us. But, uh, but I do know the boys are planning on helping us. And my oldest boy, uh, Nehemiah, is uh, very gifted on the piano. He's uh, just graduated high school and wants to teach piano. And so we're, 
uh, looking at, uh, at the opportunities there. For now, though, he's willing to travel with us and be a blessing wherever, we, wherever we're able to take him with anyway. And, uh, and then Elijah, our second oldest, he's the extra tall one. Um, and uh, he, he's uh, our tech guy. So, uh, so when we get to Santa Barbara, he'll be in our sound booth and uh, doing all that important, uh, all those important tasks, you know, making sure the service runs well and, and uh, you know, live streaming and all those fun things that churches do nowadays. And, uh, and then my youngest, uh, Azariah, um, of course, youngest, you always want to be the center of attention, right? And uh, so he's uh, willing to be our song leader, and he's also excited about uh, working with children and, and uh, doing the junior church program. So, uh, so we're very thankful for the, the team that God has given us, and uh, I wish they, w- they could be here tonight, but uh, maybe the Lord will give us an opportunity to come introduce them some other time. Uh, it is good to see Miss uh, <coughs> Naima Lig- uh, Liggins. If I can say your name right, uh, but uh, it's good to see you uh, tonight. Been a, been a long time, and um, it's um, it's been a, a thrill to me uh, to get to know different churches in California, and and along the way, I've been able to actually reconnect with with some uh, people that I've known for many many years. Uh, actually, uh, just got a message Sunday night that um, a pastor that was my roommate in college, and we hadn't seen each other since graduation either, um, but we were able to be with him earlier this summer, and, and they voted to take us on for support, and, and uh, so we are, we are at the, uh, the huge number of about 11% of our support, so we've been on the road for about two months, and uh, so I think that's a pretty decent start, but, uh, but do pray for us uh, as we continue to uh, uh, try to raise the support that we need uh, to go to Santa Barbara. All right, well, let's get down to business tonight. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> most of us are probably familiar with the story of William Carey, uh, kind of the father of, of modern missions. And uh, he was uh, a pastor and a shoe cobbler. Uh, that God began to burden for just the heathen around the world, the heathen in some of these dark nations. And, and he got together with some other pastors. You've probably heard the story, you know, and tried to promote that idea of sending missionaries, and it wasn't well received. Um, but uh, <clears throat> after a while, he did get uh, a handful of pastors that, that agreed with him and uh, decided that they were willing to do something and uh, finally, Kerry said, well, something is, I'm going to go. All right, he surrendered to be the missionary himself. And um, his uh, friend Fuller, uh, Pastor Fuller, was uh, going to be in charge of, uh, uh, you know, kind of gathering support and, and uh, helping him from the States, whereas Kerry, of course, would go to the foreign field. And... Um, and Fuller compared them to, to miners, all right, which would have been a, a common, uh, uh, a well-known you know, occupation in those days. And, uh, and Kerry said, I will go down if you'll hold the rope. And Fuller replied that before he went down, we engaged that while he lived, we would never let go of the rope. And, uh, <clears throat> and that's, what, that's what churches in America have to do. That has to be our focus. That has to be our burden is we've got to hold the rope for these men and women who are <clears throat> giving of their lives to go and preach the gospel in difficult places. And, um, and I hope that you do take that to heart. And tonight what I want to do is I want to talk to you a little bit about how we can effectively do that. Uh, how we can effectively hold the rope for our missionaries. How we can have an effective 
missions program. And I believe the Apostle Paul gives us uh, four important ingredients for an effective missions program here tonight. And so I want to take some time to look at those. So Romans chapter 15, and we'll begin reading at verse 18. And if you don't mind, let's go ahead and stand uh, for the reading of God's word. I don't know if you normally do that or not, but uh, I, I like to do that just to be mean to my audience and make them stand. But All right, so we'll read verses 18 through 24. You can follow along as I read it. He says, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me, to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Elilicrum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strive to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see. And they that have not heard shall understand. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. But now, having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, when so if I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you. If first I be somewhat filled with your company. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this day, and thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in this uh, uh, church, Lord, that you have uh, blessed and used for so many years. And, and uh, I just pray now that you would guide and direct uh, my words and my thoughts. Uh, Lord, please use me now as I seek to uh, teach and preach your word. Uh, Lord, touch our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. <clears throat> Now, the book of Romans, uh, there's been a lot of discussion over the years about kind of the reason that Paul wrote the book. Um, you know, what do we know about Rome? Well, we know that Paul had not been there yet. We, we know that he had not started a church there. So that makes it a little bit unusual because most of his letters were written to churches he had started. Um, but, um, but we, you know, you, you read the book and, and some of the other things you, you notice are that it's very extensive in its description of the gospel and very detailed. And that's, of course, that's why we use it so much in our soul winning endeavors. But, um, but some have suggested that maybe the reason Paul went to so much lengths to, uh, uh, describe his gospel and describe his doctrine was because the book of Romans was essentially his missionary information package. And before we're done tonight, I, I think we'll, we'll see some reasons why folks might think that. Um, but, but what I definitely want you to see tonight is that as, as chapter 15, as the book of Romans begins to draw to a close, we find Paul discussing his ministry. And, and as he does, we see him make a specific request of the, uh, of the Christians at Rome. And, uh, and I believe that in the process, we find four key ingredients for successful missions program. And I hope that there'll be a blessing to you tonight. So if we go back to verses 1 through 7, and we don't have time to detail, look at, at all these verses, but in verses 1 through 7, Paul discusses the idea of unity, and it kind of concludes some of the things he was dealing with in chapter four, uh, 14 uh, concerning uh, questionable areas, things that the scriptures don't address clearly. And, um, and, and so he, he, he kind of draws that to a close with a discussion of, of unity. And then in verse number 8, he kind of shifts gears. And he begins to describe the missionary example of Jesus. How that Jesus came to the earth. And we'll look at those verses in a minute. But then in verse 13, he kind of shifts gears again. And uh, he begins to describe his own ministry emphasis. And, uh, and I think again that the reason was, is he's, he's introducing himself to these Christians at Rome. And he's about to make a request to them. And he wants them to understand 
why he's making this request. So first of all, if we were to have an effective missions program at Gethsemane Baptist Church here in Long Beach, California, uh, the first thing we need, and, 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 and I'm going to have to take a few minutes to show you it in the text, but the first thing we need is passion. Passion. Now, that might be the most obvious thing you might think of, hopefully, uh, because hopefully you understand that we need a burden for the lost. Uh, it's been often said that the, the church that uh, shines the furthest around the world shines the brightest at home, and I think that there's a lot of truth to that. That, that if, if this church here in Long Beach is going to be effective at reaching the world through missions, we've got to be reaching people here at home. Uh, there's got to be people here to, to give, and there's got to be people here to send out as missionaries. And so we've got to be a, a, a light where we are. But, uh, but notice here, beginning at verse number 8, as Paul describes Jesus' ministry, he says, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision, right? which we know is a, is a reference to the Jewish people, right? So he came primarily to the Jewish people, for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, all right, the Jewish fathers. He fulfilled the Old Testament, we could say. And, notice verse 9, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And he goes on and he begins to make several quotations from the Old Testament to demonstrate that Jesus came not only to save the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And, and, and eventually he will draw, draw upon that as the reason or the foundation for his own ministry. Because he was the apostle to the Gentiles. But what I want you to see here is God's heart for missions. God's heart for missions was such that he sent his own son. And understand Jesus was or is a missionary savior. Somebody described missions uh, as the sending forth of God-ordained servants who are willing to cross geographical, cultural, and language barriers to proclaim the good news of the special revelation, salvation, and sovereignty of the Lord to all peoples in all regions of the world. I know that's a mouthful, uh, but I think it's a good summary of what missions is all about. It's about sending Right? It's about sending people to preach the gospel in areas that maybe we don't have the, the time or the resources to go there ourselves. And so we send somebody as our representative to preach the gospel there. In John 1 and verse 11, John wrote concerning Jesus, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Notice, Jesus came, all right? He left where he was, he left heaven's glory, and he came as a missionary, and what did he do? He came as the perfect revelation of God. He said, if we, if we want to know the Father, he said, you, you need to know me, right? In John 14, he said, have, have I been so long time with you, Philip, and yet hast thou not known me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You see, he was the perfect revelation of God. He was God's perfect missionary, if you will. He came with a message from God. Of course, he came to die for our sins, but he came to seek and to save the lost. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 1 says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Now, you study the book of Hebrews, and 
he gives us a lot of explanation about him being our priest, and that's a wonderful, wonderful truth. Um, <clears throat> but notice he says that Jesus was the apostle of our profession. He was the apostle. Now, <clears throat> I trust that many of us know anyway what the word apostle means. It means a sent one. Right? It was not a new word that Jesus had invented. Um, but we do know that there were 12 men that he specifically sent himself. They were the apostles of Jesus Christ. And, and Paul, of course, was selected also by Jesus and sent as his personal representation to, to the Gentiles. <clears throat> but the word apostle is actually used in the New Testament a few times to refer to somebody who's been sent, not by Jesus, but sent by a church. And essentially, the word apostle and the word missionary are, are the same word. They simply mean somebody who's been sent. And Jesus is God's apostle, God's missionary to us. And so if God saw fit to send his own son, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that shows us his heart, doesn't it? And really, we can start all the way back at Genesis and see that God's heart has always been to send messengers to, to his people, to reach out to mankind, to send his truth, to reveal himself. We serve a missionary God, I submit to you tonight. And so missions is the heart of God from the very beginning. Again, in our text, we see the mission of Jesus. He came in verse number 8 as a minister of the circumcision to the Jews. But in verse 9, we see that also the Gentiles can glorify God because of Jesus. And he goes on and quotes from Psalm 18 and verse 49 and Deuteronomy 32 and verse 43 and Psalm 117 and verse 1 and Isaiah 11 and verse 1 and Isaiah 11 and verse 10. Just piling up scriptural evidence for the fact that Jesus was God's missionary to us as Gentiles even. Now in verses 13 through 15, we read, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that she may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Or admonish one another. And uh, so Paul <clears throat> lavishes praise upon these believers. He says, he says I know you're, you're good people, right? You're following God and, and God is using you. Nevertheless, verse 15, brethren, I've written unto you the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God. Right? Because he was the apostle to the Gentiles. He says, you're Gentile, so I'm writing to you. Okay, And uh, verse 16, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. And so he says, I, I'm kind of like a, a high priest bringing an offering to God. And you are my offering. And so he says, I want to make sure I, I help you to get nailed down in good doctrine so that you'll be a good, sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. And then in verse 17, he begins to describe his own ministry. Now here's what I want you to see tonight. God's heart is for missions. Jesus' heart was to come, and, and even when he was ready to leave, he told his disciples, as the Father sent me, even so send I you. And so he says, missions is, is on my heart. I want it to be on your heart. 
And at some point in Paul's life, that's exactly what happened. That he not only got saved himself and rejoiced in the, in the glorious salvation and the gospel that, that had saved him, but he began to see that, that God wanted to use him to reach others. And God's love for them and God's burden for them became his burden. You see, God's heart for missions must become our heart for missions. And so tonight, the first thing I want you to ask you is, do we care? Do we care? Do we care that people are on their way to hell? Do we care that there are missionaries struggling to get to the field? Do we care? Does it touch our hearts? Uh, I was struck recently as I was reading a book <clears throat> um, about emotions from uh, you know, kind of a doctrinal, biblical perspective. And, and um, basically, what, what the thought that stuck with me was this, that you know, oftentimes we know what we should do, right? We all know the Great Commission. Uh, we, we know that we should be a witness to our neighbors. We know that we should give to missions. We, we know all these things. But at some point, it's got to touch our heart or we're just not going to do it. Right? Let's just be honest. If it doesn't get to our heart, if we don't meditate on these truths or somebody doesn't give them to us in a striking way, it doesn't motivate us to do anything. So the first ingredient of an effective missions program is passion. We need to care. Um, <clears throat> you know, being a, a, a church planner going to a city in California, I've, I've heard people say things like, you know, I just wish California would fall off the you know, edge of the continent into the ocean, you know. And, and uh, sometimes because of politics and things like that, people think about California in a very negative light. Uh, and I like to remind them that one out of eight Americans lives in California. There's a lot of people here. There's a lot of people that need the gospel. And instead of being quick to condemn people that are in the darkness, we ought to come turn the light on. Now there's many other needy places across our nation and across our world. But we need to have that passion that will urge us forward to do our part. Whether it's reaching the lost across the street or giving to send a missionary across the world. Passion is a vital ingredient to an effective missions program. Now, secondly, look at verse number 20. Verse number 20. Paul here says, Yea, so if I strive to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. Here we see a little bit of Paul's pioneer spirit, we might call. And, uh, and I've heard it described in, in many different ways, but what I'd like to do is I'd like to select a word to describe it tonight that might not be the first word you would think of, but I think it's a very important word. And that's the word ambition. Um, I dare say we live in a day where far too many believers either have no ambition or they have the wrong ambition. And we need to understand that Paul is essentially telling us here what his ambition was. 
Now, the word ambition does not appear in the, in the, in the Bible. If you, if you look in your English Bible, if you look up in the concordance, it's not there. But there is a word that's translated three times in different ways that if we were to translate the King James Bible today, which, of course, we're not going to do because we don't need to, right? It's a perfect translation. It's, it's, it's reliable. We don't, we don't need to change it. But I'm just, I want you to think a little bit uh, about, about a word because there is a word that could have been translated ambition in our Bibles. And that's the word that's translated here as strive. He says, yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel. Now, the same word is also found in a couple of other places. Um, <clears throat> in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Paul says we, uh, we labor, and the word translated labor there is the same word that could be translated ambition. Uh, <clears throat> he says we labor to be acceptable, or we have our ambition to be acceptable to the Lord. Uh, and then in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11, he says study to be, to be quiet. In other words, we should have an ambition to uh, lead a, a simple, quiet, and consistent Christian life. <clears throat> but this word that's translated in all three of these places could be translated ambition. Now, the reason it wasn't translated that way in your Bible is because the word ambition at, at the time the Bible was translated was a very negative word. And we still use it sometimes in a very negative way when we talk about, you know, well, hey, they're an ambitious person, you know, and we think of somebody who's cutting corners and just doing whatever it takes to get ahead, you know. And, uh, and, and historically, that's how the word was always used. Um, but in, in our culture today, we, we use it in a positive sense as well. And that's what I want you to think of tonight, is, is that positive ambition, that ambition that honors God. I like what Spurgeon said in his sermon, A, a Good Soldier of, of Christ Jesus. He said, the true soldier is an ambitious being. He pants for honor. He seeks for glory. On the field of strife, he gathers his laurels. And amidst a thousand dangers, he reaps renown. The Christian is fired by higher ambitions than any earthly warrior ever knew. He sees a crown that can never fade. He loves a king who, best of all, is worthy to be served. He has a motive within him which moves him to the noble deeds, a divine spirit impelling him to the most self-sacrificing actions. This word that's translated, yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel uh, is a word that, uh, uh, that, that means to be fond of honor, to have as one's ambition, or to aspire. Uh, Vincent describes it as, as uh, a verb that means originally to be fond of honor, and hence from a love of honor to strive or to be ambitious. Now, of course, ambition can still be very negative today. You know, if we're ambitious for the wrong thing, that's a bad thing. If we're ambitious for the wrong motive, that's a bad thing. And if we're so ambitious that we undertake to do something good, but we want to use wrong methods to accomplish it, that's a wrong ambition. But we do need some ambition tonight. Paul here says that I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. His ambition was to go places where Jesus had never been preached and to preach him. And I wonder, what is your ambition tonight? What do you want to accomplish with your life? What gets you out of bed in the morning and, and stirs you to activity? Is all your ambition being channeled towards your job? 
think oftentimes young men have a tendency to channel their ambition to fantasy world of video games. I'm not saying that video games are always wrong, but they are dangerous, especially for young men. Because God wants you to be ambitious about accomplishing something worthwhile with your life. I wonder, are we too distracted with the entertainments and worldly care to be concerned about souls and the advancement of God's kingdom? Do we have the spirit of the ten spies that discourage the hearts of God's people from entering the promised land? Or do we have the different spirit that Caleb had? A holy ambition to dare greatly for God, to attempt great things for God and expect great things from God, to look at a mountain and say, I want that mountain that God has given me. And so who will dare greatly today? Who will spend and be spent for the Lord? Who will take notice of the thousands of children growing up without knowledge of Christ and do something about it? Or who will take notice of the lost around us and, 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 and devote themselves to reaching them? Who will notice the shocking list of cities that need churches? And say, I'll go and pioneer a, a church plant. Who will see the teeming millions across the world and say, boy, I'll go to some of those dark countries that need the gospel. That's the kind of ambition we need tonight. And if God doesn't call you to go across the world, <clears throat> your ambition maybe can be to help them, to support them. But I think sometimes we misunderstand how God works. I think sometimes Christians are, are, are waiting for God to, to, like, zap them, you know, to reach down or, or to, you know, write it on the wall like in Daniel's day, you know, thou shalt go soul winning. You know, or, or uh, uh, get involved in the, in the bus ministry or, or give to missions or whatever it might be. <clears throat> and understand, God doesn't communicate that way to us anymore. All right? He's given us a book. Follow the instructions. That's what we're supposed to do. And we ought to be ambitious about it. Sometimes I think Christians are so afraid of being seen as proud that they don't want to step forward. And understand, humility that keeps you from obeying God is not real humility. It's a twisted form of pride. But real humility says, well, I don't think I can do it, but I'll rely upon God. So I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You see, there's countless opportunities around us. Pick one. Set out to do what God has already told us to do in his book, be like Caleb. You know, 40 years after confronting those 10 spies, he's 80 years old. You read the story, you find that as an 80-year-old man, he was chasing giants to get his mountain. We need some of that spirit today. The first ingredient of an effective missions program is passion. The second ingredient is ambition. Got a desire to accomplish something for God. Thirdly, Deputation. You say, Pastor, I don't know where you're going to find that in, in Romans 15. It's in there. All right, look at verse 24. And this is why some have said maybe the book of Romans was his missionary 
information package. Because in verse number 24, notice what he says to them. He, he, tell, he tells them, he says, Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. All right, and why was he so hesitant to come to, to Rome? Well, because there was already believers there, right? He wanted to go somewhere where, where Christ was not named. And so he finally feels that he has evangelized all that he can. And uh, <clears throat> you look at the map, and it's, it's amazing, the area that he had saturated with the gospel that he mentions back in verse number 19. I encourage you to look at that on the map. It's, it's, it's quite, a, quite a, an area that he covered. But he says, I've, I've run out of places. And so he says in verse 24, I'm going to go to Spain. And he says, when I do, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you. Now, if you just think about what that phrase means, uh, it's, it's pretty clear even in the English. He's basically telling them, I'm expecting you to get me there. Right? I'm expecting you to help me financially. I'm expecting you to buy me a plane ticket at least or whatever. He's expecting some financial assistance from these Christians in Rome. Now, if you uh, uh, do, do a word study on the, on the Greek word here, it, it's actually a word that's used several times in the New Testament, and it's always used in that context of, of uh, uh, somebody being sent from a church, like a missionary, and being helped along the way, whether financially or uh, helping with uh, planning the trip or sending people to assist. Uh, all kinds of different things can be included in it. But Paul was essentially asking them to help him, to be generous and to contribute and to invest in what he was going to do. You see, God's church is a missionary body. In Acts 13, we see, taught by example, how we are supposed to work out the Great Commission. Right? Remember, we're supposed to take the gospel to every creature, supposed to go to all nations, we're supposed to go you know, the whole world. Uh, how do we do that? Right? How do we do that? And Acts 13, we see how we're supposed to do that. Um, you know, in Acts 1.8, we see the different, uh, uh, different levels of distances, right? We're supposed to reach our Jerusalem and then our Judea and our Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. And, uh, but in, in Acts 13, we see God calling out of the church at Antioch, Paul and Barnabas, to be missionaries to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so again, we see that it's the church that authorizes and sends out missionaries. And so it's the outgrowth. Missions really is just the outgrowth or the, the furtherance and the expression and, and the, uh, the last phase, if you will, of the Great Commission. And so the book of Acts demonstrates how we're supposed to fulfill the Great Commission. Uh, Tom Julian, in writing about missions, he said, Missions is not what the church does for the missionary, but what the church does through the missionary. Um, there's a word that we use, and uh, I already mentioned it, that word deputation. I know it's not in the Bible, and sometimes we, you know, we hear missionaries say, I'm on deputation, and somebody who's not been in church, you know, they hear that for the first time, and they say, what does that mean, right? <laughs> Are you sitting on a, a uh, you know, police officer's badge or something? <laughs> what, what's that mean that you're on deputation? And, and it's important for us to understand what that means, all right? Because churches send out missionaries, and when we, when we say that we're on deputation, what, we're, what we mean is 
a missionary is going to a new mission field, like Paul here going to Spain, and we are sending them as a representative. Right, the church of Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas as their representatives to preach the gospel where the rest of the church couldn't go. But every other church that invested in them, like the church at Philippi, we read very clearly about them investing in Paul's ministry, every church that invested in them was also deputizing them. All right? <clears throat> Again, the word deputation. Uh, Ernest Pickering said deputy is one who's appointed to represent another person or group. Right? We think of that with the sheriff, right? We have the sheriff and he has his deputies. Um, <clears throat> But, but uh, in, in the church context then, newly appointed missionaries travel across the country, presenting the challenge of the field and seeking churches who will deputize them or send them as their representatives to the field. And therefore, deputation is the act of appointing a person or persons to represent or act for another or others. So some have wondered if deputation is biblical or if maybe there's a better way to get missions done. I dare say tonight it is biblical. Because I see here Paul asking a church to help him get to the next mission field. And that's exactly what our missionaries do today. And so an effective missions program will involve deputation. It will involve missionaries coming in and presenting the field and giving an opportunity for you to get to know them. And, and then the church deciding, all right, we're going we're gonna to help these missionaries to reach these areas and as Paul makes clear in Philippians 4, you get part of the credit for what they accomplished there. You're fulfilling the Great Commission to reach not only Long Beach, but to reach around the world. And so deputation is a vital part of an effective missions program. Lastly, verse number 30, <clears throat> the last ingredient. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Right? For sake of time, we won't read all the verses involved here, but Paul was asking for far more than financial support. The fourth ingredient is supplication, just because it kind of rhymes. I don't know. Anyway, uh, but prayer, all right, prayer. Um, <clears throat> now, Paul is asking them to pray about something that we might not have thought they needed to pray about, really. Because in verse number 31, he explains at the end of the verse, he says, uh, pray that when I go to Jerusalem with all this money to help them, that they accept it. All right? Now, we might be thinking, well, who, who would reject a gift, right? And, uh, and, and there may have been some reasons. You know, he was bringing money from the Gentiles to these Jewish Christians, and they might have thought, you know, that he was trying to bribe them to accept the Gentiles or something like that. And, and uh, so he, he had a genuine concern. Well, what I want you to see here is that just plain and simple, we pray too little. We really do. There are so many things we should be praying about and we neglect to do it. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You see, when, when we're tempted to have care, you know, to be anxious, we might say today, what, what, what is that? What is that feeling of anxiety? Right? Well, essentially, it's, it's, it's like a check engine light in your car. All right? it's, it's, it's a warning light. It's getting your attention, saying, hey, there's something wrong here. And it ought to be a reminder to us to pray. That's what it's for. 
You need to pray about it. Don't continue worrying about it. Pray about it. First Thessalonians 5, 17, Paul said, pray without ceasing. And sometimes we just write that off as a command that cannot be obeyed. But Stonewall Jackson thought you could keep that commandment. Uh, he said, man, when I write a letter and I drop it in the mailbox, I, I you know, just pray for that person that I'm sending a letter to that it'll be a blessing to them. He says, it's easy to pray without ceasing. But we pray too little, don't we? S.D. Gordon said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. Right? Paul could take the gift of money to the, to the, to the Jewish people there in Jerusalem, <clears throat> but he, he really couldn't do it till they had prayed. He said, this is something we need to pray about first. And prayer must be top priority to us. Now, <clears throat> Paul here, by telling us this, telling us to pray for, telling the, the Christians there at Rome to pray for the saints at Jerusalem, that they would accept this gift, he, he shows us something that we might not normally think of. And that is this, that our prayers cause God to work in the hearts of others. If you think about it, that's a mind-boggling thought. That by me spending time in prayer... God will in turn work in hearts in a way that he would not have otherwise. No wonder Paul would write in 1 Timothy 2, I exhort therefore that first of all, right, first priority, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. You can have an influence on those that be in power through prayer. And he goes on and says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. You can influence hearts to come to the knowledge of the truth through prayer. In verse 30, he uses that term, strive together with me in your prayers. And prayer is work. Make no mistakes about that. The word strive here denotes agony and effort, and it was used in, in an athletic context of, of working together as a, as a team. And it involved intense effort. In James 5, James said, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so understand tonight, you can partner with every missionary you support through prayer. You can become a vital teammate to your missionaries if you're serious about praying. And you can change the hearts of people by praying for your missionaries. You can help your missionaries stay out of discouragement or sin by praying for them. You can help your missionary have an effect on hearts and drawing people to Christ by praying for them. You can help your missionary get through all the red tape and avoid government persecution by praying for them. You can be a co-laborer with them through prayer. <clears throat> you saw in the video that we uh, had the privilege of starting a church in Illinois uh, back in 2007. And uh, around our second anniversary, we, um, you know, 
and people start figuring out that I was a jerk. And, and so we had <laughs> a couple of families leave, and, and God, you know, had to humble me and teach me some things. But, uh, <clears throat> but several months later, I had the opportunity to preach at a summer camp in Pennsylvania. Um, and so I uh, was out there, I was preaching, and I happened to, to just be discussing our, our ministry with uh, one of my friends who was on staff there, and... and uh, and his, his pastor said, hey, because <clears throat> I, I mentioned that I was considering getting a, a job to help make ends meet because we were kind of struggling. And, and, uh, and his pastor told me, he said, before you do that, call us. Okay, you know. And uh, several months went by and, and <clears throat> things were getting tighter, you know. And, and so I gave him a call and, and they had me, they flew me out to Pennsylvania and I you know, presented our work as best I could and, and uh, preached and had a great time there. And, and they took us on for support. <clears throat> but what happened next, I did not expect. Because that year ended up being what I refer to often as our year of miracles. Uh, <clears throat> we, would, uh, we would go on to see more people saved and baptized that year than in all the, the two or three years leading up to it. Uh, not only that, but we would see our, our building paid off that year, and we'd see our bus ministry started, and, and it was just an exciting year of seeing God work. And as I look back on it, it wasn't me that made a difference. It was having another church praying for us. I really believe that, especially as I got to know some of the people at that church. They were a praying church. And what I want you to see tonight is, don't, don't take it lightly. It's not just words when a missionary says, brethren, pray for us. We need your co-laboring. We need your help through the ministry of prayer. And so tonight, four ingredients of a great missions program. Passion. Passion. Do we care that there's people that still need to be saved, that still need to hear the gospel do we care that there's towns that don't have a sound gospel preaching church? Do we care that there's still millions on the mission fields that need to hear the gospel? And are we ambitious? Do we have a desire to see more accomplished for God? It's going to take that. It's going to take deputation, having missionaries in, investing in them financially. And it's going to take supplication, prayer. We can have even more and more an effective missions program if we have these four ingredients. Let's go ahead and stand, if you would, with heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. I'm just going to go ahead and pray, and after I pray, the 